Welcome to World of Soundtracks, a podcast where we explore storytelling aspects in films and TV through music. Whether it is comparing book adaptations, observing themes over a series, or microanalyzing the choice of instruments, we look at how the story is told and moves us. I am your host, Ruth Mudge, and today we will be looking at the 1999 adaptation of Mansfield Park. First of all, I would like to thank you for your patience in waiting for this episode. I am in a very busy season of my life, including wedding planning, so it is taking a bit longer than normal to get episodes completed. The episodes may be a bit more sporadic this year, but I appreciate all the encouragement and understanding that I have received from all of you, especially in the Facebook group. This episode is continuing the focus on Jane Austen adaptations, with the controversial Mansfield Park movie from 1999, directed by Patricia Rosema, and the soundtrack composed by Canadian female composer Leslie Barber. Barber received a master's in music composition at the University of Toronto in the 80s, and composed for theatre in Toronto, before expanding to film composition and orchestration. She loved to experiment with electronics as they were being developed, and also had classical influences from Haydn to many of the minimalists such as Steve Reich and Philip Glass. Barber and Rosema were actually partners for a long time, and while it is unclear when their working relationship turned into a personal relationship, they worked on several projects before Mansfield Park, including Barber's first movie for composing and orchestration, When Night Was Falling, from 1995. She was also the conductor and producer for the sixth episode of Yo-Yo Ma Inspired by Bach, which is a fascinating TV miniseries done in 1997, using visuals along with audio to interpret the cello box suites. The sixth episode is one of my favorite episodes, as it features the famous ice dancers Torval and Dean as they interpret box suite number six, while Yo-Yo Ma plays it. But on to Mansfield Park. The movie of Mansfield Park is an interpretation of Jane Austen's book from 1814. It is arguably the most serious of her novels and the hardest to adapt, especially in regards to the heroine Fanny Price, being the quietest and most internal of all of Austen's heroines. Her voice not being appreciated or encouraged by her extended rich family that she lives with, except for her cousin Edmund until the end, where her steadfastness and morality is rewarded in choosing what is right. In this movie, however, Rosama chose to infuse Fanny's voice with Austen's herself, both in making Fanny a writer and giving her a witty voice, quoting Austen's juvenilia, as well as the narration in Mansfield Park itself. The idea is to make Fanny relatable to a modern audience, but also providing ways to hear her own thoughts and inner narrative, which she does in letters to her sister Susan, speaking to her cousin Edmund, and then also breaking the fourth wall and speaking to the audience. Rosama was quoted as saying that she was making a Rosama film and not an Austen film, which is probably why many lovers of the book have had problems with the changes that she made. The focus of Fanny's voice as a writer is then combined with the main musical theme, not only for the main credits, which shows paper, writing, and quills combined with whisperings of little girls as young Fanny whispers stories to her younger sister Susie, but also continues for similar moments throughout the movie. This is perhaps the most classical of the themes in the movie, especially in how the inner voices of the strings play. The second violins fill in with a repeated note and rhythmic pattern, frequently used by classical composers such as Haydn and Mozart from the late 1700s, 
like this second movement of Haydn's Violin Concerto in A Major. Along with that are the influences of space with rests and shorter notes. Space is often used for comedy or giving room for voiceovers in movies, both being the case in this film. The bass pizzicato under the main theme also emulates Baroque bass lines, the most famous being Bach's air on the G-string. All the musical layers lend itself to the older setting of the Regency period or earlier, including the use of strings and a more classical orchestration also used in the majority of Austin adaptations, including strings, piano, solo winds like the clarinet and bassoon, French horn, and harp. However, this is where the resemblance ends, in many ways reflecting the movie being infused with both the modern and the Regency period. The music is both classical and modern, through the layers and function of the strings in harmony and rhythm, influenced by the 1700s, but the jumping around of the melody is more common in the 20th century. The 20th century Russian composer Sergei Prokofiev is an excellent example of intervals that jump octaves within the melody and make it harder to sing along with. This is an example from his first symphony, which is actually imitating the classical era, written in 1917. theme from Mansfield Park. The melody is first heard back and forth between the cellos and then the violas, before passing along to the violins. As the melody moves between instruments playing one or two notes, it gives an angular feeling matching Fanny's biting comments that will occur later. followed by the solo violin melody, emulating the Baroque style of Vivaldi, but for the orchestration fills in single notes or chords through the brass and winds, again combining the old and the new. This combination of Baroque and classical with the layers of color and rhythm from minimalism is actually used much more in later period dramas, from Martin Phipps' Sense and Sensibility to Sanditon to Bridgerton. Barbara in some ways was slightly ahead of the time in film scores when it became more common to accompany emotional scenes or to set the stage with colors, layers, and motifs instead of giving complete melodies which you can sing afterwards.
theme for Fanny in her writing returns in the film, as Edmund gives young Fanny paper after she first arrives at Mansfield Park, so that she can write Susie after he discovers her homesick in the attic. It then continues as she narrates some of Austen's early juvenilia, including the history of the kings and queens of England, as young Fanny morphs into adult Fanny. This is heard in the track, paper, and pen. However, since it is almost exactly the same as the main theme just heard, down to the same tempo and orchestration, we'll move on to when the music slightly changes. The theme is expanded with harp and strings, and a more romantic sound, as Edmund and Fanny proceed to go riding together near the beginning of the film, with a mixture of seeing the beautiful golden fields and a lot of slow motion of both the riders and the horses. Unfortunately, this version is not on the soundtrack, which does point out one or two questions regarding the choices of what is put on and what is left off. We will notice a handful of themes that are almost identical used in different moments in the movie, and then music that is not kept in at all. It is unclear to me who gets to make these choices, whether it is the composer or the studio. It is pretty common to have music left off, as it is impossible to include all the music, and generally they are trying to create a cohesive album especially before the days of streaming, where you can pick and choose which track you want to listen to. This album keeps that cohesiveness in mind by not having the tracks in chronological order, but mixing them to keep the variety of styles and moods interesting throughout. Personally, I prefer the chronological approach, as it is easier to place what happens within the movie, but each composer and recording studios have their own preferences. Back to the main theme, it returns for the music at the ball held in Fanny's honor. The tempo is slightly slower and more stately, with much of the underpinnings in pizzicato as the ball opens and Fanny and Edmund are talking. This is followed by the high instruments of the violin pizzicato, harp, and flute, which play the main melody with the bassoon and cellos playing the counter melody as Mary Crawford confronts Edmund with the idea that he loves Fanny. He is taken aback, especially since he believes he is falling in love with Mary, but then replies, there are all kinds of love. begins to pick up, predominantly in the strings, with a few accents of horns and flute to fill in the spaces and colors, as Fanny dances with Mr. Crawford and Edmund dances with Mary, all enjoying the dancing and each other's company, combined with some more slow movement shots. To that date, it is perhaps one of the most stylized and artistically shot of all the Austin balls. The music lends to a certain magic and feeling as lights and characters spin around.
by far the most classical sounding of the entire movie, let alone with this specific theme. Many period dramas usually go in three directions for their dance or special ball, which features the main couple. One is to try and be period accurate, using folk tunes and smaller ensembles to give the feeling of their Regency period, or whichever period the drama is set in. The second option is to use music by the composer, but in dance form, sometimes in the style of the day, such as in Patrick Doyle's Sense and Sensibility, or to turn the main theme into dance music through the choice of instruments or tempo, which is the case for both this film and the 2009 miniseries of Emma by Samuel Sim. The third option is to insert thematic music by the composer, interrupting the music that the group has been dancing to, such as the waltz in the 2016 War and Peace miniseries by Martin Fitz, or the sunset waltz featured in the first Downton Abbey movie by John Lund. Mansfield Park is a bit unusual, as the theme carries through both the talking before the dance and then the dance itself, making it special, but not setting it apart the way most other films do. Instead, it relies on the lack of talking through the dancing to give the feeling of being swept away, and the joy that Fanny feels in both dancing in a ball but specifically dancing with Edmund. Like many of the dances in Austin, this is a pivotal moment for the couple, even though they might not know that themselves. While this theme is primarily Fanny's music, it is also used for the couple in key moments such as this one. This theme is also used sparingly, as many other themes are used for the home and the Crawfords, which we will delve into in a minute. It returns in two different forms to bookend the end of the film. Just as we see and hear Fanny's narration in the beginning to Susan, the film is wrapped up as Fanny gives an account of what happens to all the characters using much of Austen's own narration. What sets us apart from the beginning is that there is a pause as Fanny says, it could have turned out differently, I suppose, but it didn't, as the characters also briefly freeze on the screen before moving on to their lives. This happens twice as the audience is told what happens to Mariah and Aunt Norris, and then again to the Crawfords, beginning to wrap things up in a neat little bow, the pause giving a little visual humor. solo violin then transitions to the climax of Edmund and Fanny's relationship, which is a different theme and texture. After that, the main theme returns, including the pauses, as Fanny continues to wrap up the narration, telling what happens with all the various characters at Mansfield Park, including Susan joining them and the switch to investing in tobacco. The music continues as Edmund and Fanny walk to their home at the parsonage, as Edmund talks to Fanny about publishing her books. As the credits begin to roll over them, fulfilling a true bookend in using the theme not only for the credits at the beginning and end, but also keeping the focus on Fanny and storytelling, from a young girl to the possibility of publishing her works at the end. The other theme used most frequently for Fanny's narration is the track Busy Nothings, keeping the sound of pizzicato in the lower strings and space between notes as the harp and strings alternate. It maintains space for narration and comedy, as Fanny writes home to Susan, but also breaking the fourth wall by staring into the camera, informing her and the audience near the beginning about Lady Bertram taking opium, to Mariah becoming engaged to Mr. Rushworth, to Sir Thomas gone in Antigua, 
to Mrs. Norris's husband dying and her subsequent move to Mansfield Park. All these events are rushed through with the melody and the harp and the piano, adding a little interest in the rhythm and chords. One, two, and three, four. One, two, and three, four. With more emphasis on two and four to set things off balance, breaking the rules of the strong beats being on one and three, with a few discordant notes thrown in to match both the humor, but also the biting way Fanny observes the family and shown in a ridiculous manner. This returns as Fanny narrates over the wedding of Mariah and Mr. Rushworth, stating that the bride was clearly marrying without affection, having fallen in love with Henry Crawford. Fanny also mentions Mary's harp being transported, with harp, xylophone, and piano playing as it goes across the field. The xylophone is an unusual instrument, as it is much more modern and not usually played in an Austin film, but it gives a certain high metallic and sharp quality, matching the tone of the film. While the main theme for Fanny in Mansfield Park is the most joyful and classical of all the themes, many of the other themes feature aspects of minimalism with repeated patterns and layers, a sound heard in many films in the 2000s period or not. Minimalism grew out of response to experimentalism and lack of boundaries in classical music in the 20th century, to the point of John Cage's 4 minutes and 33 seconds of silence, where he argued that all the sounds heard in the audience and ambience were the music. In response, composers such as Steve Reich, Philip Glass, and John Adams, amongst others, decided to go to the other extreme, repeating the same tonal patterns, slightly changing things as the piece goes along, as well as adding layers or instruments. Instead of jumping all over the place, the idea was to become almost hypnotic, possibly also matching the drugs occurring in California during that time. While the style did morph and change over the decades, it was also similar to electronic dance music happening around the same time. One of Barber's main influences is the composer Philip Glass, who has written music both for film and classical music. This is an example of minimalism from his string quartet number two, movement four. <laughs> Thank you. 
first example of minimalism in the film is when Fanny prepares to leave Portsmouth as a child, being rushed out by her mother, saying goodbye to her siblings, and not knowing when she is returning. The second violins play a repeated pattern, reminiscent of a clock tick-tock. Flute and piano are added for a little high rhythmic color, repeating the same note, and then all the strings join in for the same eighth note repeated patterns as the oboe, flute, piano, and high violins take turn with a melody as she travels through the country and towards the unknown family, also passing a slave ship on the coast, hearing singing as she passes by. That singing is not part of this track, but heard later in the end credit song. The music continues to grow in crescendos as she arrives at Mansfield Park. All of this lends to the feeling of moving, moving away from everyone she loves and knows. After receiving a whirlwind tour of the family in the house, making it clear that she was not entirely welcome or to be received on equal footing, her aunt Norris finally deposits her in her own room in the attic. While piano and harp repeat the same sad minor alternating notes with a flute playing over it as she cries and writes in her head to Susan that she has been given away before Edmund arrives and distracts her as the music quiets. This becomes Fanny's theme for her grief, especially in being put down by members of the Bertram family, becoming excluded, and reflecting turmoil even if she is not allowed to express it to the family members. It plays after Mrs. Norris humiliates Fanny as the whole group is talking about putting on the play Lover's Vows and asks her, why are you here? And then sends her out to get more sewing, clearly showing that she is not an equal part of the family. A similar version occurs as Sir Thomas berates Fanny for refusing Henry Crawford, telling her that he is disappointed in her and her conceit and independence, refusing to yield. The piano overlaps the same patterns with low bass and cello notes added to give depth, weight, and darkness, and high violins are added instead of the flute, as his voice overlaps with itself, telling her that she is not thinking of her family, that she does not know her own mind or emotions. There is a cycling through the music in waves, as the music goes higher as he tells her that she is throwing away her life in front of her aunts, Edmund and Mary, as the day changes both time and location, but still hearing his voice and seeing her reactions. <laughs> ¶¶ 
This version has a lot more dissonance, and the piano begins to jump more and more as more voices give their opinions, such as Mary and Lady Bertram, before ending in silence with Edmund's opinion. All the circling emotions are heard as she receives a constant berating. This music of internal grief with the piano and low strings is also used when Fanny receives a letter from Edmund later on, while in Portsmouth, saying that Mary Crawford is the only woman he can think of as his wife. Henry Crawford comforts her, currently waiting and trying to persuade her to change her mind, as she grieves this final confirmation that there is no hope for a future with Edmund. This music is then transferred to Edmund and Mary Crawford at the end, as his eyes are opened to her worldliness after Henry and Mariah run away together. Edmund tells Mary that she was a figment of his imagination, and that he has no desire to know the real person, who would speak of his advantage in his brother's death to become the heir, and blaming Fanny for rejecting Henry, leading to the crisis of him running away with Mariah. This time the music accompanies Mary's humiliation as she leaves and Fanny's justification and worth recognized in the eyes of the family in Edmund. The strings fill in the chords a little more over the piano, but most of it is very similar. It doesn't include as much of the basses, however, which leads to a little less heaviness and a little more bittersweet quality as he lets go the person he had idolized in his head.
quite a bit of the music is around the Crawfords. Both Mary and Henry bring a worldliness and charm that beguiles and enlivens the Bertrams. It is as if they've all been woken up and yet put under a spell. This begins as the Crawfords enter the drawing room for the first time, with trills in the strings as the melody goes up and the cards fall to the floor. A drum is heard as both Crawfords are panned foot to head for the greatest effect. The bass drum adds a depth of drama and danger, and the oboe which joins in is often used for a seductive mood. Harp is also present, as that is the instrument that Mary plays, presenting a level of sophistication. Mr. Rushworth, Mariah's betrothed, is accompanied by the bassoon, often the instrument for buffoonish or comical characters in Austin, such as Mr. Collins or Mr. Elton, and is also fitting for this portrayal. Rhythmic element in the piano, one, two, and three, four, was also heard during the narration regarding Mariah and Mr. Rushworth earlier, in its way a motif for their relationship, a dance that seems slightly out of sync while Fanny is watching everything unfold. Similar music continues in the harp and piano, as flirting already begins to commence around the card table, while Fanny watches on. Clarinet is subtly added into the mix, an instrument often used in the classical era, especially through Mozart and in Austin films. The continued breaks of silence and pauses adds to the comedy heard throughout the majority of the music, while both the audience and Fanny watch the group try to impress one another without hearing any words. While many Austin films use silence to hear the dialogue, this film has several scenes without words accompanied by music, wishing to show rather than tell in a brief amount of time the dynamics between the characters. music is used as the Mansfield Park characters are shown primping before their mirrors, especially the women, before meeting up at the Crawfords again. Julia and Mariah using makeup, Mrs. Norris trying a flower, Lady Bertrand taking opium, and Fanny just briefly glancing at the mirror before walking away. 
In the same vein, similar music plays as everyone rehearses for the play Lover's Vows. The hints of flirtation that had begun at the card table have become much more obvious and even begin to start crossing some moral lines as Mary rehearses with Fanny with Edmund watching, both uncomfortable as Mary puts her arms around Fanny in a very seductive manner, as harp plays with a little pizzicato, with the lilt in the violins that plays the seductive melody that the oboe had played earlier. cellos join in this style of melody as the drums and bassoon return, seeing the play unfold in rehearsals around Mansfield Park, especially Henry Crawford's rehearsing with Mariah, and Mr. Rushworth struggling with his lines but excited about his pink satin cloak. The music fills in the gaps again, balancing both the questionable misconduct in some of the family and friends, with the ridiculous nature of others, as Fanny and the audience see everything that is happening throughout the rooms. The underlying part with the harp and strings returns one last time later in the film, when Mary sends a letter to Fanny mentioning that both she and her brother ran into Mariah, now married, who seemed disturbed to hear that Henry was courting Fanny. This music had accompanied Mariah's interactions with Henry, beginning with a flirtation at the card table, but then hoping for so much more after their encounters while practicing for the play. Mariah was never indifferent to Henry, and so the music continues as the film shows their interaction through the letter. However, Mariah chose to rush through her marriage to Mr. Rushworth after seeing Henry begin to pay attention to Fanny, realizing that he was not going to propose to her. What Mariah sees is the beginning of Henry's attraction to Fanny's goodness, but also the challenge of making her love him as she seems to despise him. He comes across Fanny reading in the library and begins to read from her book about the starling that can't get out, with all the emotion and pathos in the words. This book is A Sentimental Journey Through France and Italy by Lawrence Stern. The passage read is about a bird that is in a cage but cannot be freed, a metaphor for how many of the characters feel in this movie. As Henry Crawford reads this passage aloud, the music is quiet and intimate, swelling with one or two notes in the horn, flute, cello, violins, and clarinet over the harp. This matches both the feeling of being restrained, like the starling longing to be freed, as well as hinting that Henry sees that same longing in both himself and Fanny. Even Mariah watching this from the door is feeling this desire for herself. 
The desire to be set free from the constraints or not being acknowledged or seen is probably one of the biggest themes of the Crawford's challenge in all of the Bertrams. The question is how that freedom or illusion of freedom is obtained. The music is trying itself to push out in small little bursts over the romantic moving of the harp, setting it up as a romantic theme for the movie with quiet swells of passion in a very British sort of way, still keeping things fairly constrained. This music actually reminds me a lot of Martin Phipps' music in the Persuasion adaptation in 2008. This begins to set Henry Crawford up as both the unwanted suitor, but also a romantic alternative for Fanny in escaping the poverty level of her birth family in Portsmouth. Not only is this theme used at the beginning of their relationship, but then it plays at the culmination as he proposes again in Portsmouth for the second time, this time as she accepts. An oboe is added as she accepts, Harp chords play as they kiss, and then the music turns to minor as she wakes up with horror and regret, possibly taking a page out of Austin's own one-night engagement. A similar theme, if not the exact one, plays again as everyone returns to Mansfield Park, Henry and Fanny seeing each other for the first time after she broke the engagement. It accompanies a long, almost regretful look before Fanny goes and nurses Tom, who is sick. This music of harp and swells in different instruments is used again for Edmund and Fanny at the end. In many ways, it redeems this theme of love that Fanny craved, but from the man she has loved from the beginning. This is the proposal that she has desired as Edmund finally realizes that it is Fanny he has loved all this time and tells her that he loves her like a man loves a woman and as a hero loves a heroine to her surprise and then delight. The music has time to blossom a little more before the solo harp plays as they kiss and she looks happy as she looks into the camera. Now, I will admit that I love when a theme is transformed into the love theme at the end to represent the growth of a relationship. I'm a big fan of bookends and themes returning. That being said, I'm not as thrilled that they use the same one for both Henry and Edmund's proposals down to the same harp music for the kiss. I would have loved different instrumentation or even a slightly change of tempo, something to set it apart and let the audience know that Edmund is the one, that this is the special moment. Music should be telling the story not only with the same theme, but altering it to fit the moments and the emotions of the character. 
What I could argue and guess is that Barbara chose to keep them the same as it reflects the emotions of Fanny and not necessarily the man proposing. It is a sweet romantic theme where she feels seen and valued. The idea of a repeated heart pattern, or in this case an ostinato, was also used when Fanny broke off the engagement with Henry, saying that she was not prepared and still doubted him. Henry is angry and betrayed after being so happy when he arrived, yelling that she was the one that was untrustworthy. Earlier, the heart pattern was slower going up, rising with hope and joy. Now it moves quicker and comes down, reflecting the emotional turmoil of everything falling apart as the violins play little sides and minor. between that first reading of Stern, the second proposal in Portsmouth, and the following rejection. How did Edmund fit into this story as the unrequited love of Fanny? For much of the movie centers around the messy love triangle or square. Edmund falls in love with Mary, who seems to be inclined towards him, but not his profession as a clergyman. Fanny is in love with Edmund, who sees her as a sister. Henry falls in love with Fanny first as a challenge, and then sincerely, or at least so it appears in this version. While Mariah is at the beginning and the end, much of the plot from the book is moved through quickly or cut out of the movie in order to focus more on the relationship possibility between Fanny and Henry. Fanny does seem to be more inclined towards Henry after the ball, or the flush of having danced and perhaps maybe a little drinking as well. When she arrives in her room a bit giddy, she looks outside her window to see Henry charmingly bowing to her outside. Her heart seems to be slightly touched as the piano, often an instrument for more intimate or quiet moments, and strings play quietly along to accompany it. The music is smooth or legato, and a contrast to much of the music before it, setting up the stage for the first proposal. Like many first or disaster proposals in Austin films, there's no music to accompany it, especially since Fanny thought Henry was joking as he catches her on the stairs. The music instead accompanies Sir Thomas as he berates her for making a mistake, and then suggests that she should go back to Portsmouth to have time to realize how much her life has been improved by living with them, essentially have a wake-up call and change the scenery. Fanny desires to go home to be with her family, to be amongst her equals, and to be loved again, Minimalistic piano accompanies her as she says goodbye to Edmund and Mary, both sad that she refused Henry, with Edmund hinting that he'll write if he has good news towards an engagement himself, which sends Fanny into tears. The music reflects this inward grief of saying goodbye to the person she loves unrequited, being in minor, but also the feeling of jagged movement, both emotionally and for going once again on a journey.
Strings join and swells as she drives away back on the same route that she had made arriving to Mansfield Park. There are hints of classical harmonies, but the switching of the notes in a slightly unusual progression between the highs and the lows make things feel unstable, to reflect the inner turmoil of Fanny as she leaves one home to go back to her original one. It is much quieter than the movement of strings when she first left. Everything calms down with less motion and more chords as she arrives back and nervously approaches the door of her family that she hasn't seen since she was a child and is greeted by her mother at the door. This music is then used again for her journey back to Mansfield Park with Edmund, who arrives to bring her back after Tom had fallen gravely ill. She says goodbye to her sister Susan again, before they travel back on the road, Edmund telling Fanny that he missed her, and that he believed Mary is close to saying yes to his proposal. He asked about Henry and whether her heart had changed, to which she replied that it had several times, before having their hands close to each other and ending with Edmund falling asleep on her shoulder as they head home at night. It encapsulates that sense of longing and missing both family and love, whether going back to Portsmouth or back to Mansfield. The final thread in the story is regarding Sir Thomas, portrayed as the true villain in this movie, both as a rigid father and uncle, and as a slave owner with his plantations in Antigua. As the head of the family, the rot and lack of morality while appearing to be righteous all stems from him, in many ways influencing the choices that his children made in either rebellion or through neglect, or left in the spoiling care of Aunt Norris. Woven throughout the story is the idea that setting up his daughters and Fanny for marriage could be conceived as a form of slavery, as well as Tom's drinking and partying being a response to the horrors and hypocrisy he saw in Antigua's father, leading to his terrible illness at the end. With all this in mind, Barbara chose to use a unique instrument for Sir Thomas, which is the marimba, this instrument has been around for a few centuries in sub-Saharan Africa and West Africa, being made out of wooden bars, often with gourds underneath to amplify the sound. Like many instruments, rhythms, and melodies, this instrument also became part of South American musical culture due to the displaced Africans from the slave trade and integrated in to become an essential element in their culture. In fact, it became the national instrument of Guatemala in 1821. It wasn't until the 20th century that it became part of the Western classical music world, thanks in large part to the French composer Darius Millot in 1947. Because it is an instrument that is now both in the Western classical world, but also deeply rooted to the African past, it made a lot of sense to use that instrument, 
always reminding the listener of what Sir Thomas is connected to and where the money comes from that provides for the family. This first appears after Sir Thomas returns from Antigua as they all sit around in the drawing room, Sir Thomas filling them in on how things were going at the plantations with several distasteful comments. Fanny brings up abolition, which brings his attention to her, while the piano repeats the same notes alternating with a repeated note on the marimba low over the strings. After staring at Fanny in an uncomfortable way, seeing her beauty improved and worthy of bringing to men's attention and possibly a good marriage, she quickly leaves the room and escapes to ride on her horse through the rain, after Edmund runs after her. She says that she doesn't want to be sold off into marriage, and he tells her that she is overreacting. Strings then soar as Fanny rides her horse in the rain, including some more slow motion, providing her some freedom as she feels trapped, while the piano plays quicker chords provide the sense of movement. Fanny isn't the only one seeking to escape, as the marimba accompanies Tom as he and Yates flee after the play has been disbanded, due to the arrival of Sir Thomas. Tom had spent time with Sir Thomas in Antigua, and seeks to be elsewhere both for fun, but also to avoid him. It is also a bit lighthearted, as everyone tries to return back to normal life, but clearly affected by the events of the play. returns when Sir Thomas commands Fanny to marry Henry Crawford, and she refuses, stating that she does not trust him, having seen his actions with Mariah, 
but of course does not inform Sir Thomas of that detail. His reaction is of anger, disappointment, and confusion, and the repeated notes in the marimba, interspersed with the sad strings, hint at that feeling of slavery into marriage that Fanny is feeling as he expresses his opinions. This all happens before the grief music that I talked about earlier occurs, as the day continues into night and then into the following day. This music is then used much later, when Mary gives her plan to help restore Henry and Mariah to society after they lope at the end, while the whole family is in shock as she outlines that Edmund and she will be able to help them once Tom most likely dies from his illness and Edmund becomes the heir, as well as suggesting that the whole debacle could be left at Fanny's feet for refusing Henry. This is the only time the marimba is not used specifically for Sir Thomas but to represent the lack of morality and heart that Mary exposes in herself through her plans. Everything comes to a head in the story in regards to Sir Thomas when Fanny discovers Tom's drawings from Antigua as she is nursing him, discovering horrifying pictures of abuse in many forms done by many men, including Sir Thomas. Violent arpeggios, reflecting the Baroque and classical nobility, crash with discordant chords, and the vocal cry heard with the slave ship intermixes with it as she goes through the pictures. The drama continues along with French horns and string patterns as Sir Thomas enters, sees the drawings, and sends Fanny to her room. It is another scene where the visuals and music tell the horrifying story with very few words involved.
only is Sir Thomas exposed, but later on in the night, Fanny is woken up by Tom's coughing and illness and accidentally opens the wrong door to help him, only to discover Mariah and Henry in bed together with the harp playing intermittently. A discordant violin chord plays as she opens the door, and the harp, which had been playing consistent ostinatos or patterns in both the good and bad parts of their relationship, is now broken with a few notes here and a few there. A gong plays symbolizing the total break of any kind of relationship, and the clarinet enters as she runs into Tom's room to Edmund, who then discovers the couple, with Mariah then quoting the Starling section from earlier, I cannot get out. Musically, nothing quite fits or matches together melodically or rhythmically. It is a jumble of seemingly random collection of notes in complete contrast to the sense of minimalism or the classical style that provides order. Finally, Edmund comforts Fanny with the harp and higher violins playing, both instruments often used for romantic moments as he almost kisses her. However, the scene is also right after the full betrayal of Henry and Mariah, so it remains in minor. It portrays tension of many sorts, especially for Fanny, who had gone back and forth regarding Henry, but now almost kissed by the man she does love, overwhelmed by everything that happened that night. This part actually reminds me of the soundtrack from the British show Poldark and how the strings are used and the harmonies. The vocal cry heard both with the slave ships and then the drawings is heard during the last song for the credits, called Jonga, or Slavery, written and sung by Malian singer Salif Kaita, who was known for a long time as the golden voice of Africa and a pioneer in Afropop. This fits into the trend of many films to use a pop song at the end of the movie, even if it doesn't quite fit the rest of the movie musically. Most Austin adaptations use the sound of opera instead. Barbara and Keita broke the traditional mold of Austin adaptations to fit in with the narrative and themes that they wanted to make clear to the audience in regards to the family of Mansfield Park, having money on the back of the plantations and slavery, 
and leaving the movie on a more reflective feel for the audience instead of just rejoicing in the happiness of the couple being together at the end. Unfortunately, I have had trouble finding a translation for the lyrics, but you can still enjoy the opening of this song. The sounds of Africa through singing and the marimba are not the only unusual musical choices in this Austin adaptation. The Bertram sisters are shown to be playing the glass harmonica instead of the typical keyboard or harp. This instrument, made up of graduated glass bowls or goblets in a row, was designed by Benjamin Franklin in 1761, although the idea had been around for centuries. One of the most famous pieces featuring this instrument was by Mozart in his Adagio for Glass Harmonica, written in 1791, for a blind virtuoso, Marianne Kirchgesner. Like the dance in the ball, Barbara and Rosema chose to have original pieces to fit the score instead of pulling in classical pieces or folk tunes. In this case, even the view of the sisters is through tinted glass at first as they play this instrument, as Fanny watches Mary on her own horse with Edmund, Lady Bertram asleep, and Tom arriving drunk with Mr. Yates. There's a laziness or hazy quality that matches a warm summer day, being idle, bored, and lacking clarity. This also gives a level of class and wealth, as it is not an instrument featured in the everyday parlor. It is also the same melody that was used in the marimba as Tom leaves Mansfield Park.
In the same way, Mary performs the harp later on for Fanny, mentioning that it is Edmund's favorite. The harp piece is also an original work for this movie, but only the end is heard. This is pretty common when a piece is written for a movie, or even using a pre-existing piece, as it is rare to have time to hear the whole thing. There are a lot more pauses and stops between motifs and phrases than would be commonly heard at that time, possibly for extra dramatic effect as Mary watches her audience. Finally, we have the hurdy-gurdy in Portsmouth. Like the marimba for slavery in Sir Thomas, and the harp and glass harmonica for the wealth, class, and elegance of the Bertrams and Crawfords, this folk instrument reflects the shipping port and the level of class that Fanny originally comes from. The hurdy-gurdy is seen played by a teenage boy, turning the wheel on the strings, using the attached keyboard to play the melody. It's an instrument that has been around since the medieval ages, if not earlier, and was also very popular in the Renaissance period. Mixed in with the hurdy-gurdy is the harp, piano, and flute movements to reflect the freeing and releasing of the birds from their cage, a gift from Henry Crawford to Fanny, remembering the quote he had first read with her about the starlings getting out, symbolizing a joyous offer of freedom as the birds fly away in slow motion. This is one of the most magical moments and is definitely reflected in the music in a combination of flowing arpeggios to the grounding feeling of the hurdy-gurdy and drums. This version of Mansfield Park contains a mixture of the modern with the hints of the old. In an adaptation that loosely holds the structure and characters from Austen's novel and creating something modern to connect with a modern audience. It's slightly edgy, yet using the voice of Austen herself and the protagonist, while Rosima joins that voice to highlight various kinds of slavery, the class systems, morality, and the freedom of having a voice. Fanny Price is one whose voice is often squelched, but with a few people who see her worth, which continues to grow and be appreciated by the end. The unusual choices of marimba, glass harmonica, and hurdy-gurdy are mixed along with the typical strings, piano, and harp ensemble used for Austin period dramas, 
that reflect the modern themes while setting it in the Regency era. The combination of disjointed melodies, repeated patterns, and dissonance are also intermixed with some beautiful flowing passages, humor, and angst that represent the character's emotions. While not everyone's favorite soundtrack, Mansfield Park matches the feel of the movie to not only create something new, but also lead the way to how soundtracks, especially in period dramas, will begin to sound in the next decade or two. Next time, I will be focusing on three different persuasions for the last episode on Jane Austen adaptations. Each have a unique focus in telling the story, yet none of them are quite the perfect soundtrack for my favorite Austen novel, at least in my opinion. In the meantime, you can join in on discussing all the musical moments regarding this Mansfield Park adaptation in the Facebook group World of Soundtracks or on Twitter and Instagram at WO Soundtracks. Please like and subscribe, share with friends, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Amazon. I highly recommend subscribing so you don't miss when the next episode comes out. Until next time, happy listening! A special thanks to all those involved to make this podcast happen, especially Edith Mudge for the title music and Lindsay Bergsma for the graphics. This is World of Soundtracks. Thank you.